we can always trust Him. We know that there's many, many things that happens in our lives and in this world and in the course of our journey that we certainly do not understand. But even when we can't understand, we can still trust. No, trust doesn't come automatically and immediately when a person first gets saved. They trust Him as their Savior, and that's pretty much as far as they go. But maturity through hardships, trials, actually the learning of many, many things of life is what brings us to the state of mature Christians to where we can trust Him when it looks like everything is going wrong. Oh, but I'm so grateful tonight that we can do that. We so love Him and appreciate Him. Appreciate each of you. Thank you, sisters, for the songs, brothers for coming, upstairs, downstairs, those that have made the services available. As Brother Louis already mentioned, but we certainly want to remember the Ghouls and the Yance family during this time. Sister Alex was taken taken this morning, and um, we know that they would appreciate our prayers. Um, Also, I want to mention that um, Wednesday night, Lord willing, we will be uh, gathering again here. I'd already spoken um, to Brother J.D. about it and the Deacon Brothers and that I would like to try, if possible, um, instead of having three groups, to maybe have two, if we can seat everybody. Um, if we give everybody a chance to be able to come to church more often. Um, the only downside about that might be that if we um, <clears throat> receive as many people in here as we can, few people may have to sit in the fellowship hall, which means it'll be first come, first serve. So if you want to set the church, you know what that means, don't you? You have to get here early. Now, maybe I look at it different, but myself, I'd rather be in the fellowship hall streaming than sitting at home. That way you don't get up and run the refrigerator, you don't get your glass of tea, cup of hot chocolate, cup of ice cream, all that sort of thing, you know. But um, this is strictly my idea, and if we don't like it, if it don't work, I take all the blame, and we'll go back to three. But I would rather be in the fellowship hall streaming myself than to be be at the house, but <clears throat> we'll try it for a few services and see if it works. If it works, we'll do it. Now, everybody can be able to be in church more frequently instead of waiting three services, just wait two. So try to work with the Deacon Brothers if we do have to uh, see people in the fellowship hall, and they will, of course, put everybody in here that they can, and then if we have to, we'll go over there. Hopefully it won't be long to where this thing will be passed. We know that it's spiking here and there and there, and that's pretty much what they said would happen. Uh, let's, let's not let up now in our prayers. We certainly still need to keep praying uh, because more and more people are getting it and more churches are being affected by it. I heard from a brother today in South Africa. Three pastors have died in uh, different parts of Africa, so uh, Latin America as well. We certainly want to remember all the saints of God, not just our family and, and our little church here. <clears throat> let's turn, if you would, tonight to the book of Hebrews Again, chapter 5, where we've been looking at reconciliation through kenosis of our Lord. Um, these things have meant so much to me as we've been looking at them. And as we're faced with many, many things that's um, going on. And, you know, every day it seems like our lives are, are affected by some type of bad news. Our nation hasn't been where it's at as far as riots and different things like that in many, many years. Things that are going on, um, 
Who'd ever thought that we'd ever see it in our time? Yet we know that it's part of the signs of the end time. Because violence was one of the words that was used uh, to describe the antediluvian destruction. Before the antediluvian destruction hit the earth, we know the scripture tells us that violence was on the hearts of the people. If you're studying the times of the Maccabees, you're studying the times of Hadrian the emperor. Hadrian, you're also studying pre-70 AD. You see that violence was on a great rampage. And it was like every time that God was fixing to make a change, violence come upon the face of the earth. And we can certainly see that we're there. It's what's on people's minds. It's not really uh, to bring this agenda or that agenda to pass. But many people are taking a path, taking apart uh, many different things. I agree, our nation needs change. No doubt we need change in police. No doubt we need change. And we probably need change in a lot of pulpits. But I don't figure we should burn churches just because any changes right. in the pulpit. I figure there's a lot of bad, bad moms and dads, but I don't think we ought to start a rally to kill them all, do you? Right. Let's bring change, sure. Let's bring the change in the right way. But we know that people that have that mentality, they really don't want change. It's just the spirit of the last days. And remember, the prophet said the last days cannot come until people get under the spirit of the last days. And part of the spirit of the last days is going to be destruction. Remember, our nation is only just a short space of time from total annihilation. And before they can be annihilated, the nation must be under the spirit of destruction. But while they've got their minds on destruction, we've got our minds on leaving here. So we realize it's got to come. It breaks our hearts. But may God help us and give us peace as long as we can have it. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Now this was the Spirit God speaking to the humanity of God, which we call the sonship. And verse 6, as he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers, now listen to this carefully, and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, was heard in that he feared. Now, it seems phenomenal. It seems like a paradox. But actually, verse 7 catches the epitome of the very mystery of God. God would be revealed in humanity. And what's amazing to me about this verse is that we have the Savior crying for a Savior. We have our Savior crying for a Savior. Notice the way Paul described him. He said, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him. So who's crying? The Savior. Crying for what? A Savior. That was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Let's bow our heads together.
Lord Jesus, just reading this verse from your precious word strikes our heart with a heavenly chord, an anthem of the great song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Lord, it must have been that the angels of God were so stricken when they saw this, as they heard this voice crying up from the humanity of our God, begging for deliverance, crying, not just whispering a prayer, but with strong crying and supplication, asking for a Savior. But if you would have gotten saved from what you were facing, you could not have saved me. So Spirit God could not answer this supplication. But you must be turned down in your prayer. Your petition could not be answered. You could not turn in a testimony that your prayer was answered. Because had it been answered, we would have been lost tonight. Father God, thank you. But I'm so glad, Lord Jesus, you prayed that away. I believed it already that you were a man. But your prayer sealed it. Oh God, that you would pray in such a way as we humans, looking at the will of God, looking at the face of God, knowing what you want at times in our lives, and yet we will pray the direct opposite. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for walking that journey for us. So when we get there, we have a high priest that understands. Speak to us tonight your word, would you, Father? In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. God bless you that are streaming tonight. When I look at this order of Melchizedek, I've always loved it, even back in Pentecost, as a preacher then who had very little light, really, on much of the declaration of God to see what God was, who He was, His purpose, His plan. But Brother Darrell, I can still remember reading Hebrews 6.20, Hebrews 5, Hebrews 7.1, Genesis, the description of Melchizedek from an Old Testament perspective. And there was something that struck my heart and made me wonder, who was that great person? Who would that have been? And yet, never hearing anybody ever be able to take the Scripture and make clarity to it. But after coming to the message of the hour and realizing that God had something in the life of this great person that actually tied to who I was, 
Then it helped me to see why I always wondered who was Melchizedek. As I study this even to this very day, looking at some of these things we'd like to look at tonight, it not only brings to me the mysterious form of Melchizedek, but we know that there's something about a mystery that involves two great aspects. And a mystery can declare a truth, but it can also maintain a supernatural element which remains despite the revelation. And this is what we know sometimes that we have in the message of the hour, that we have a knowledge of a revelation of something that God has revealed. I don't know about you, I don't want just that part alone. But I want that supernatural element, that despite the supernatural element that remains in spite of the supernatural part and the natural element, that it comes together to me. This is what the revelation of Melchizedek will do for us. When we look at our Lord Jesus, every Protestant believer, and even many of the Catholic believers, have no problem in believing in the Immaculate Conception. To be able to wrap their minds around that there was a part of God that existed. Now, they will divide on whether it was a person, whether it was a thought, whether it was a pre-existing element of the Lord Jesus, they'll differ there. But most of the Christian world would have no problem believing that the Lord Jesus come to live as a man. So us believing that does not separate us from the, the majority of Christianity. From believing the Protestant believers that there was something supernatural about him that lived before his incarnation to the earth. Us believing that does not separate us from them. Now we bring it on down to the apostolic oneness of believing that he was actually God, not a second person of the Godhead. Many of our brothers, and we will call them brothers, and children of God that believe in the apostolic faith that he was not the second person, but he was the person. So believing that does not separate us from many apostolic believers around the world. So what really is it that separates us from the majority of Christendom in believing that our Lord came to the earth? You see, it is the revelation that ties into Melchizedek and that it was not that Jesus absolutely was not his own father, but God did become his own son. Not another person, but the same person in the office of sonship. In that he loved fatherhood so much that he must become a son. Now, you know, these are the things that divides us, even in the understanding of the revelation of the Godhead, that he was actually the forerunner. Now, we know that John the Baptist 
was a forerunner. But I want to enlighten you tonight by the help of the Lord that John the Baptist foreran the Lord Jesus in this earth. But the Lord Jesus actually foreran you into the presence of the holiest of holies. Watch with me in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 20. I know that's overwhelming. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now what does a forerunner do? A forerunner goes before one or more people to make a way for them to follow him. Now remember when John was asked by the Pharisees, are you Elijah? Are you this or that or the other? Who are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, no. But Jesus said he was. So now, did John tell a lie and Jesus tell the truth? They was asking about the coming of the Malachi for Elijah. And John knew that. So when they ask, are you Malachi 4? Are you the complete fulfillment of Malachi 4? Now in our terms, he would have said, no, I'm not Malachi 4. Amen. Are you Malachi 4, 5, 6? No, I am not. Well, who are you? I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, which was not Malachi 4, but Isaiah 40. Now, this was a very common symbol among them in that day. To us, it's peculiar because we don't relate to it, but because they did not have great paved highways everywhere they would go. Uh, you know, the Roman government brought many roads uh, to Judea as it did to other parts of the world that they conquered. But yet, if a king wanted to go in a road that had not been laid out by the Romans... He would send forth men or a company of men and they would start making a way. So they would take out the big stones and they would pick out this certain road and they would go out and they would chop down the brush and they would make a path because the king wanted to go from this certain place to this certain place but there wasn't actually a highway that was made plain. So he would send forth these group of men and they would make the way plain. Now this is what Isaiah said that John the Baptist would be. John the Baptist did not fulfill Malachi 4 neither did John the Baptist fulfill what Jesus said would happen in Matthew 17. When Jesus said, when that Elijah comes, he will restore all things. John the Baptist did not restore all things, but he chopped down some bushes and moved some rocks. And he made a way for the king to come through. So John said, no, I'm not that, but I am he that is preparing a way in where in the wilderness. Notice then, the Lord Jesus, whenever he entered into heaven for us, after the order of Melchizedek, then he became our forerunner. Now, what kind of a forerunner would the Lord Jesus be for us? Notice what Paul said. Wherefore, the forerunner is for us, entered even Jesus, made an high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So where are we going? 
The forerunner come to make a way that we would enter somewhere. Well, where is it? Is it churchanity? Is it just coming to a building that the Lord Jesus made a way that we could enter into a building or join some denomination somewhere? No, that's not where he entered. But he entered into the presence of God so that he foreran our coming. John the Baptist foreran him. He foreran us. Praise be to God. He was actually the forerunner into the Holy of Holies after the order of Melchizedek. Why? He was testifying, my brothers and my sisters are coming after me. I am going to forerun their coming. And I want to tell you now, they're on my heels after Pentecost. They're coming right after me. They will be allowed to come into the holy place, Gentiles and all, into the presence of God. I am forerunning my church. Notice now in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Notice to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. First being by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now notice who Melchizedek through the cross, as we look back through the cross, and we see who the mystery of Melchizedek was. Now, not from the Old Testament looking forward, but from the cross this way, we look back and we see who he really, really was. Notice he was the king of righteousness. Oh, I love this word. Look at the Greek word here. The state of him who is as he ought to be. Now the word Melchizedek actually divided in Melchizedek, Melchizedek, so it divides into two different syllables there, and part of it is that he is the king, he is king, Melchizedek, king, and also this last word, Kesedek, which is righteousness. So he is the king of righteousness. Now remember that Abraham also met the king of Sodom. There's a king of Sweden, a king of Norway, all different kinds of kings but what kind of a being is this that he would be called the king of righteousness so he has the ability to make people as though they ought to be when in reality they aren't that way but it takes a king to make them that way before they actually arrive to human perfection now think of what he is. He is the king. He's not the king of money. He's not the king of lies. He's not the king of adultery. He's not the king of all kinds of filth and rottenness of the world. Now that's who the devil is. The king. He's the king of the world. He's the king of this chaos. Is that right? But notice who Melchizedek was. He was the king of righteousness. So he had the ability. Look at the meaning of the word. The state of him who is as he, as he ought 
ought to be, amen, righteousness, the condition acceptable to God. Integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. So this is who Melchizedek is. He is the king of righteousness. And after that, also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now he is the king of righteousness and he is the king of Salem. So he's a king of peace. Look at this word. It means rest, quietness, a state of national tranquility, exemption from the rage and havoc of war. Now look who Melchizedek is. Peace between individuals, harmony, security, safety, prosperity, the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. That's my Melchizedek. Now look at what he is. He's not the king of jobs. He's not the king of Cadillacs and the kings of Mercedes and the king of BMWs and the kings of giving you what you want. But he is the king of righteousness. So what would be the allocation that the king of righteousness do you think would give to his subjects? Well, it don't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. He's going to allocate to those who love him from their soul what will be the measure by which King Melchizedek will give to his subjects. Well, it will be righteousness. So he will make them as they will be, as they ought to be in his eyes. So how is it that we're able to find peace? Real true peace can only come when we are able to stand before God accepted in the beloved. Now if not, no matter how much we own, how much we're worse, and this and that and the other, then we'll always be worrying. Am I right with God? Do I have peace with God? What if I die tonight? What if I die tomorrow? Oh my goodness, what's going to happen if the stock market crashes? Who's going to win the election? I don't know. I just say, give us who we need in there. If we need Biden, I say, so be it. If we need Trump, so be it. Whoever we need to go ahead and wipe us out and annihilate us, let's bring it on. I'm ready to leave this world. I don't know about you. I'm more homesick every day of my life. But if our hope is in that, I'll tell you one thing, we'd really be sad in the hour we're living in right now. Is that right? But what is he the king of? He wants to allocate to his subjects. Now, if he is the king of every church member, then there'll be none of them left behind. If he is the king of every foolish virgin, there'll be none of them left behind because the king will give to the delegates of his subject kingdom. He will give to every one of them this blessed attribute of righteousness and give to them peace that they have rest and peace and satisfaction between them and God. Unless, of course, these attributes only go to the order of Melchizedek. Now, in this kingdom, Melchizedek can have people that are of the priesthood of Melchizedek, and others can be servants. Others can be lot type. They can be book of life people. Amen. 
But there will be some that the forerunner had one in front of them and then he takes on the fullness of the attribute of the ministry of Melchizedek and say there's a group of people on the earth today that I speak for their innocence. And I take their place. I assume their guilt. I take upon me their guilt and I project to them my innocence and I claim them as my bride, my elect, my chosen, my foreordained before the foundation of the world and I declare by the oracle of God they are justified. Amen. Not forgiven but they are just as if they never did it in the first place. Notice this, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now notice Melchizedek is called the king of peace. But Isaiah, when he prophesies about the humanity of Melchizedek in the form of sonship, he calls him the prince of peace. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right? Oh my, but Melchizedek is not identified in the princely office as sonship, but identified in the fatherhood as king. Amen. Glory. Can't you see who it is? It was the eternal before he became Jesus. He was king of peace in the attribute in Genesis, and he's the prince of peace in the form of sonship in the New Testament. But the sonship moves into what? The state of fatherhood to be crowned king again. No longer prince, but king. Notice this. So this is the the Hebrew meaning of the word Melchizedek. And then Salem is, what's his own name now? Different, of course, than us today. We name our kids and we just go through the dictionary or find whatever name is popular. But they didn't do this. They would name you according to who you were. And then they might give you the, you know, the wrong name when you were born. And then you would do something and then they would rename you accordingly. So his name, Melchizedek, really meant something about him and his kingdom. Notice Psalms uh, 72 verse 7. Righteousness and peace are often linked together in the scripture as they must be under the Melchizedek order. Psalm 72 7. In the, his days shall the righteous flourish and abundance of peace so long as the moon Endureth. So Melchizedek in his own name and in the city that he's from merged together in a prefigure of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Psalms 85.10, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Now notice the attributes of Melchizedek. There must be one that will come that will be able to stand between God and man by which righteousness and judgment can come together. Righteousness and peace can come together and be unified. No way that could happen in Moses. No way that could happen in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, any other man. But it could only happen when God become his own son. That God would become a human being, then righteousness and peace 
peace would embrace each other and kiss each other so deity come down and kiss the humanity at the river Jordan when the lamb was baptized in water. Mercy and truth have met together where? In the tabernacle of God. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Isaiah 32, 17, and the work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect, oh glory, the work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect, the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. Praise God. What does it do? It puts you behind the veil. You're not saved today and think you're lost tomorrow. Think you're saved next week and then lost week after next. No, you got rest forever. James 3.18 And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace in them that make peace. Now here they actually receive shalom through Melchizedek and then in them is sown peace because they're children of peace. You imagine true peace can be experienced only on the basis of absolute righteousness. If we want to enjoy the peace of God, amen, we must receive the pardoning grace which can only come through the righteousness of God. But Brother Donnie, I've got so many faults. I've got so many mistakes. I've got so many shortcomings. Sure you do. And you'll always have them as long as you're immortal. But righteousness is not you and I be perfectly faultless in the human body that we live in. But it is an act of God that is attributed to us and says that you are as you ought to be. In His sight, hallelujah, in His sight, the bride is holy and pure and righteous. Praise be to God. Why? Because Melchizedek decreed it so. And it is only through the work of our Lord Jesus and the cross. Remember the cross is not just this. The cross is the person. God crossed his strain. Deity crossed in humanity before he was ever nailed to them two timbers that was made like that. The main cross wasn't a piece of wood, but the main cross was the work of Christ. Amen. When we receive the Holy Ghost, can't you see why we take up our cross? We are now crossed. We are crossed also. We are the new birth of baptism of the Holy Ghost. The cross, amen, deity has crossed in our humanity and we bear both images in our mortal realm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Notice Hebrews 7, 3. Speaking again of Melchizedek. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But notice how, what a peculiar way that Paul says this, but made like unto the Son of God. Oh. Now wait a minute, I, I thought Melchizedek lived back there thousands of years ago, back in the Old Testament. How was he made like unto the Son of God? But Paul didn't say the Son of God was made like Melchizedek, but Melchizedek was made like the Son of God. 
Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto, which is a similitude, or a likeness unto the Son of God, which is the Word of God, or the Logos of God. Abideth a priest continually, which means it never has stopped. So whoever Melchizedek is, his priesthood is still ongoing. Unlike Aaron, which would go and this priest would go for 40 years and he died, then his son would be, then his son, and on and on and on and on. But whoever this one is, is still alive tonight. Notice this in verse 4. Now consider how great this, not angel, but this man was. Unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law. That is their brethren. Though they come out of the loins of Abraham. Now watch it means it goes into a little more depth here in verse 9. And as I may say so, Levi also who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. Levi who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. By representation of being in his loins. He paid tithes in Abraham. And you imagine God actually attributed it. The, the all glory to God. Under what dispensation did this happen? When was it made clear? Under what dispensation? The order of Melchizedek. Under the order of Melchizedek, it was said by the word of God that a great-great-grandson was alive, living inside of his great-grandfather. Hallelujah! Under the order of Melchizedek, can't you see this is why under denominationalism would never be able to come to full maturity. It had to be under the return of the ministry of Melchizedek in the last days. And the bride would be able to catch glimpse of who she really is. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Abraham being the ancestor head represented his entire group of descendants. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there of another priest that should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron. Verse 14. I don't mind telling you, I'm glad I'm not after the Catholic order. I'm not a priest after the Anglican order. I'm a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Aaron's order will die. God never did vindicate the Catholic order anyway. Is that right? But our order is alive and well. Notice this in verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And yet, oh glory, and it is yet far more evident. For after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power, 
Can't you see how you and I receive part of this priesthood? When we receive that life quickened inside of us, it is the power of an endless life. This is why we cannot die. Oh yeah, sure, our heart will stop beating one day, our blood pressure will bottom out and all that. We'll take our last breath, but that ain't who you are anyhow. You're not that old house you live in. The real you is that part that's been birthed by the breath of God. The power of an endless life. For he testified, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Notice verse 23. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, but this man. I want you to notice here Paul referring to the Lord Jesus after his resurrection. He still calls him a man. He was not a theophany. This is God's glorified humanity. He is God's temple. He is God's permanent place of residency. And when he left this earth, he left in that glorified body. That glorified body is still right there tonight on the throne of God. In so much that Paul could say, but this man... Because he continuous ever has an unchangeable priesthood. Oh, blessed be to God. He continues forever and he has an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able, listen to your priest now. He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You talking about reason and purpose of being. Oh my, seem like in the last six months we just get one prayer and we get another and another and another. It seemed like we're so burdened down by so many things that are going on. And you say, Lord, I hate to come to you with all these problems. I hate to come to you with all these troubles. And now I say, but this gives him reason and purpose of being. He loves to come on the scene and manifest himself in healing and signs and wonders and miracles in a supernatural display when his children call upon his name right in the middle of hell and the Holy Ghost swoops down in your bed and you jump up off the couch or out of the bed and go to worshiping God and the fever leaves your body. Hallelujah! He ever liveth to make intercession for you. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. For such an high priest became us. For such an high priest became us. I hope this don't just blow you away. But here we go. You deserved nothing less. Hallelujah. Your seed, your soul, your redeemable attribute did not deserve a wretched mortal like me to try to save you. 
became you to have such a man. <laughs> Can't even say amen, huh? I know it's staggering. It became us. Hallelujah. Not to receive a piece of junk or one old tin can trying to save another tin can. One old rat off of the rat heap of humanity trying to save another bunch of rats. It became us. It became us as his children to have such a one as this. It's who you were. It's who your identity was in the other world. You don't remember it. But one day, oh, hallelujah, one day it'll come back to you. Jesus was the only one that ever walked this earth that knew he preexisted before. It has been darkened to our minds. We cannot recall it. Try as hard as you will. You'll never recall the streets of gold. You'll never require the great beautiful trees. You'll never be able to remember them. But one day when you become the word and you enter into that theophany that you bypass, all of a sudden, oh my, as you and I have had it in our lives and all of a sudden you know you've seen this before. You've ever had that to happen to you? Or you're standing there in the three quarters of a second. You know what that person's going to say. Or you know what's going to happen because hallelujah it's like you've been there before can you imagine when we enter after the offering and all of a sudden we say I remember I remember being here I was here before the world began I was here before Satan before sin I'm back I'm back but now I'm not just a thought I'm a body hallelujah I'm a glorified man or a glorified woman in the order of Melchizedek. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, how would that become me? How, how would such a high priest be becoming to come in my place like that? Shouldn't I be offered a dirt bag? That's what I am. Wouldn't, wouldn't some other person like Aaron or Eleazar or some other person, wouldn't that be closer to me? Maybe my body but not my soul. I was fitting of all that in the flesh, but he didn't come to represent my flesh. Adam did that. The second Adam didn't come to re-represent my flesh, but he come to represent my soul. That which was savable, redeemable. So it became us to have this category of high priest who is holy, Harmless. And we were meaner than snakes. We were as rotten as rotten could be. We wasn't even lovable. The prophet tells us in 1956 that God is lovable. The very attribute of love, he said. He said, I was down there at Brother Cox's the other day, and he said, there's two turtle doves sitting up on the power line. Brother Sharp, I stood there several years ago, and Brother Charlie showed me that power line where they're standing out there in the driveway, and Brother Brandon pointed up and said, look at them. And them doves are sitting up there just wrapping their necks around one another. He said, that's cool and making love to one another. 
And then he tells us, oh my, 1956 in Brooklyn. He said, there he was, God is love. And he's a lover. But he said he'd come to us and we wasn't even lovable. So God had to make us lovable in order to be able to start wooing our hearts into this place while we were so lost, we were wretched. We were not lovable. We were not good. We were not kind. We were not worthy humanly. But our soul deserved, required, and must have such a high priest who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. How could that ever fit me? After my new birth, that's what I am. Holy, harmless, undefiled. Separate from sinners. <laughs> oh, glory to God. Oh, glory to God. I'm trying to behave myself, but the farther I go, the harder it gets. Hallelujah. Notice this. He describes him and he says, Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests who offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Now let's go back to Hebrews 5. Notice this, also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. But he that said unto him, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And he says, also in another place thou art a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So the order of Melchizedek is the power of an endless life. Who in the days of his flesh or his embodiment in the days of his imprisonment glory to God in the days of his flesh or his humanity his cause of a human tabernacle praise God in the days of his humiliation he was attended daily by the sinless infirmities of human nature. The pains, the sorrows, the agonies. Prophet said he was persecuted from the day he was born to the day he died. He felt our needs. He felt the things that we go through, yet without sin in his human nature. So whenever he came then, he offered up prayers and supplications. Oh, you're talking about powerful. He did this, of course, many times. He prayed. We know that he prayed. And prayed. He would go out at nighttime. And we know that he cried. Prophet tells us that of all of this, of all the human emotions that he expressed, that crying and shedding tears was one of the ones that he expressed the most. But yet he manifested human groans. In a most submissive manner. You see what the son is doing. The body, the humanity. The son is learning obedience. The great eternal which spoke the worlds into existence. Which knew everything. Kenosis himself out of everything. Into a body of nothingness. He laid aside his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his all-knowing, and he had to learn submission. He had to learn obedience. When the will of God wanted something of you, 
and your flesh didn't want to give it. He had to learn how that felt. Oh, God. He uttered deep sighs with his hands uplifted and groans in this submissive manner. Notice Paul says, with strong crying and tears. And the word, found the meaning of this word, your brother Darrell, I thought it was amazing. The word does not mean weeping. The word crying, as the word crying does to us. But it means an outcry. The voice of wailing and lamentation. It is the cry for help of one who is in such pain and sorrow and such distress. So the Lord Jesus is not sitting there on the cross and, oh, I'll be glad when this is over. This is really, really going to be very inconvenient. This is not what I had planned for the day. I'll be so glad when this is passed. I'm just really stressed out because of this. But if we would have been able to walk near him, how the disciples could sleep was him moaning and wailing and the Savior crying to be saved. Who in the days of his flesh when he'd offered up prayers and supplications a strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. The Redeemer's dread was the dread of death. Not just ordinary death. He was not facing the death of Abraham. He was not facing the death of Job. He was facing the death of a horrible, wicked, wretched sinner. Out of the presence of God. Now remember, he never done one thing wrong. Never said one thing wrong. But God is going to place on him the iniquity of us all. So he must die out of the presence of God. He's not just praying, don't let me die, I want to live forever, don't let me die. But he's praying, let me, if it's possible, let me skip this cup. This cup. This cup contains a twofold mystery. I must die the death of a sinner. And I must die out of your presence. Think of it. He died out of the presence of God. So if we have to die, we can lay on our bed and sing songs of Zion. Raise our hands. Hallelujah. Sister Cindy, your mama passed over not too awful long ago and was able to die the death, not of a sinner, but a saint, a daughter of God. Wonder who she saw, who she started talking to. Why was that possible for our precious sister Wilma? How was that possible? Because our Lord Jesus died the death of a sinner. 
your mama, Brother Lua, your mama, Brother Darrell, those of you that have had loved ones that have gone on, and we all have, who was able to die the death of the righteous. Oh, praise God. And come up to death's door and not scream and have trembling and fear. No, you didn't do it, but he did. I've stood by the bedside of those who died lost. I've heard many a testimony of those that died out of the presence of God. Please don't misunderstand me. There's never been a drunk. There's never been a liar or a prostitute that died the horrible death. The Lord Jesus died. He died the death of every liar, every drunk, every murderer, every thief. And this is what he says, Father. Remember the Father, the Spirit, now the invisible. If it be your will, let this cup pass from me, please. But notice something happened to him, Brother Louis, in the garden. The Father never took the cup from him, but he allowed angels to come and minister to him. And then when they come to get the Lord Jesus and Peter drew out the sword and he cut off the high priest's servant's ear and Jesus said, Shall not I drink this cup that my Father has given me to drink? The very thing Brother Darrell had asked just moments before, Is there any way this can escape me? Is there any way I can get around it? But praise God, angels had come. What did they brought? The administration to fulfill the will of God. Oh, if God don't take your cup from you, and you pray, God, take this, God, take that. If God don't do it, just remember, there's angels hanging around you somewhere, and they're there to minister grace to you, to help you. Oh, how many times have we prayed that God would take this away and that away? And maybe Brother Louis said, no, no, I'm not going to do it, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. My grace is going to be sufficient. I'll give you strength. I'll give you a touch. I'll give you virtue from time to time, but there's a big picture here that I'm looking at trust me on this one son trust me on this one daughter even when you don't understand it then you'll be able to say shall not I embrace this cup that my father has given me what changed you time alone with God in prayer The Lord Jesus, here you'd think that Peter was simply answering what the Lord Jesus had wanted to do. Get away from that cup, but now he's defending the will of God, the very thing he'd prayed to escape. Oh, hallelujah. Father, is there any way human redemption can be completed without me having to pay this horrible price is there any way father and then Paul went on to say it was heard in that he feared he feared dying out of the father's presence I would too I said I would too. Now that I've known him, now that I've been privileged to walk with him, I can face whatever I need to, as long as he's with me, even death. 
Oh, but Brother Donnie, don't you think we'll be afraid just for a few moments? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Praise God. Hallelujah. But Jesus, knowing to die the death of a sinner, Spirit God would have to turn as it were his back from them. The angels of God would not be able to even look upon him because God cannot stand the appearance of sin. Were it not for the blood of the Lord Jesus as the bumper on the earth. You remember how the prophet saw it in the vision as he stood there at that restaurant in Ohio. And he was condemning that woman there. She was dressed ungodly and all of that. And the Lord said, step aside here. The Lord wanted to adjust his attitude. What better way to adjust a prophet's attitude than right there in the middle of all that going on. And God breaks him into the fourth dimension. And he sees the blood of the Lord Jesus enshrouding the earth. And he said, Lord, is that the sins of the world? It's coming up, hitting the Lord Jesus in the face. He said, that's not the sins of the world. That's yours. And remember, he wasn't, but they didn't say before he got saved. But that was still ongoing. Brother Branham needed the blood of the Lord Jesus that very day. He needed the blood of the Lord Jesus because he was standing there with that condemnation. Come on now. And God needed to adjust his attitude. Why? There's a daughter of God that needed to get saved. But Elijah had the wrong attitude. Oh my. He was standing there condemning. That's why we have to be careful of the anointing of Elijah on this bride move in the last day. We want to cut people's heads off. We want to slay them right and left. But remember, God may have another one standing out there with high heels on and a mini dress and paint all over her face. But God might want to use you or I one to bring her back. But he might have to adjust just our salvation attitude first hallelujah he said God would have destroyed the earth were it not for the blood of the Lord Jesus oh my notice this the enemy he faced was not only physical death but spiritual death dying out of the presence of God to bear the full blunt of God's judgment. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that I will never have to face that. If I go by the way of the grave, whether it's in a hospital bed, on the side of the road, out of a car accident, or a plane crash, or if I have to go that way, Brother Dyer will be able to slip beyond the curtain at time. Grab a hold to death and crack our whip over him and said, take me across to the other side. You're not my slave driver. I'm yours. I'm not your, I'm not your slave, but you're mine. I'm your master. Come here and carry me across on the other side. Where without this right here, I would have screamed. I would have hollered. I would have grabbed my, you know, my arm where the blood was spewing out. I'd grab my heart with the pains of a heart attack. But now I can say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, just a moment I'll be crossed over. Praise be to God. But the cup given unto him in Gethsemane to be made sin, the broken fellowship between him and the Spirit. Let me find a place to close. Notice this Luke twenty two forty one, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast. I kneeled down and prayed and sang, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven. 
What's the Bible say? Strengthen him. So he must have got weak. God's strength is going to be made perfect in Jesus' human weakness. Notice this in verse 44. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. Now, can you imagine the Son of God praying more earnestly, more sincere? And his sweat were, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Such agony, such sorrow. Notice again then Paul in Hebrews 5, 8, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things that he suffered. Look at the word learned. Understand. To learn. Increase one's knowledge. Be informed. To learn. This is the key right here. To learn by use and practice. It was not that he didn't understand pain and sorrow and death from this great omnipotence of the eternal, but he did not understand it by practice. He did not understand it by use. But in order to be a priest with millions of children left in time capsules, you need to understand the use of humanity. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. This, this tabernacle, Christ, can I say it this way? Christ, human experience <laughs> was an experience of learning and humiliation and degradation and shame. Learning to obey God in the sphere of man. Learning to obey the indwelling spirit when the flesh does not want to submit. Praise God. This is why I don't get mad at you. This is why he just don't whoop the far out of you and just hang you over hell by your toenails until they curl up and just throw you right in the pits and say, I'm sick and tired of fooling with you. He understands how it feels when you know the will of God and when you know it's the truth and yet you won't do it. Or you argue about it or you struggle with it and you put it off when you reason. He understands that. Praise God. So the object is to show how well fitted. Oh, nobody, nobody in the New Testament wrote it here like Paul. Catching the understanding of the order of Melchizedek. What it was for the Lord Jesus to be the Savior of man. So his argument is this. It was becoming for us to have such a Savior. Let's stand together. Christ as God was perfect in knowledge, perfect in understanding. Nothing could be added to him. But when Christ became a man in his state of humiliation and embarrassment and sin, he had to learn. 
which was a brand new method. Glory to God. He learned by experience what it was like to obey God in the midst of manifold sufferings. And this qualifies him. This is what qualifies him, Brother Darrell, to be our priest. It wasn't his pre-existence. That did not qualify him to be my priest. It wasn't that he was the Logos. It was that he learned. It was that he learned obedience. This is the criteria to be our high priest, by the way. To hurt, to cry, to scream, to agonize. Though he were a son, yet learned to obedience by the things which he suffered. Praise God. Oh, he took my place that I through his love could take him. Oh, he became me that I might become him. So whatever you need tonight, he understands. Let's sing it together. That I might become here. God bless you, saints. Love you. See you in the morning. Thank you, Lord.
the Lord. What a message tonight. What a word from the Lord we've heard. Praise God. I know it blessed your heart. Amen. To think of what our Savior did for us, lowly human beings. But we look at it, like Brother Donnie said, it becometh us to be true servants of the Most High God. So glad for that tonight. Praise the Lord. Let's sing this little song together tonight. Falling in love with Jesus. That's the greatest thing that we ever done. Falling in love with Jesus. Amen. Remember the service in the morning, the Lord willing. 11 o'clock we'll be coming back for another service. I know you're looking forward to it as we are. But let's sing this together tonight as we get ready to leave. Falling in love with Jesus Falling in love with Jesus Falling in love with Jesus Is the best thing I've ever, ever done
Never disconnect